Hello, folks, and welcome back to Platform Enterprise, a podcast for people who are pissed off with capitalism. A podcast for people who are pissed off with capitalism. I'm your host, Rachel Donald. I'm an investigative journalist and a writer. You can find some of my work over at platformenterprise.com, where, most importantly, you can sign up to get these podcast episodes delivered straight to your inbox every straight to your inbox every week. Do I have a treat for you, folks? This week's episode is with Reverend Billy. Reverend Billy is probably the world's first secular preacher. He's the co-founder of the Church of Stop Shopping, and what he does is go out and preach on the street uh, about the effects of consumerism, about the upcoming Sixth Extinction event, and alongside the Church of Stop Shopping, which is a choir, uh, he trespasses into banks, into big pharma, into huge corporations, and they sing. That is their form of activism. Reverend Billy has been out on the street for decades, uh, preaching about the dangers of consumerism, of globalization, and also about love and kindness and community and the solutions that we need to get us through the upcoming climate crisis. He came on today to discuss his story, how he went from a small-town religious boy in the Midwest to New York's most famous preacher. Him and the Church of Stop Shopping have been all around the world. They will be in Scotland in November for COP26, where if you're there, you will hear them probably before you see them. Um, and they are really, really well known for bringing joy <laughs> into a message that many find extremely frightening. Billy is a blast. It was such a pleasure to have him on the show. I know you're going to enjoy it. So please do leave the conversation a five-star review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Sign up to the mailing list at platformenterprise.com. And if you want to support the podcast, if you want to support these conversations, choose a paid subscription. I'm really, really bad at plugging it. <laughs> but for those of you who have the means, it is the best way of supporting this podcast and these amazing conversations of which I'm just the humble host. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to start with a song by the Church of Stop Shopping. There'll be another one at the end, at the end of the episode. And yeah, strap in and uh, enjoy the show.
thank you for making the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. So far, <laughs> it's only been 10 seconds. Fingers crossed then for the rest. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it all. <laughs> let's jump off this cliff. Earthalooyah. Oh, Earthalooyah. Take me. Take me. I think we should do, I think that's a good place to start then to explain. Amen. <laughs> to listeners. Amen. What this is and who you are. Reverend Billy. Why Reverend? Where do you come from? What do you do? <laughs> well, I am a, a satirist of right-wing apocalyptic Christian televangelists, um, which comes and goes as in the United States as a uh, uh, iconic power figure. For instance, during uh, George Bush, it was very strong. And then Obama, not so much. And then Donald Trump, it was strong again. It was the, the right-wing Christians were very much in the White House. So it comes and goes as a, uh, uh, as an effective. <laughs> but the Church of Stop Shopping is the, um, the, the church with Savitri, the director, my, my partner, and 35 radical singers who trespass and sing <laughs> in, inside of Monsanto laboratories and Starbucks coffee shops and neighborhood ruining real estate companies and you know we we uh i i think at this point i'm 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 getting behind the church a little bit i'm mm. i'm in, i'm in the mid middle distance not so much the the head of it at mm. this point all right let's let's go back to the beginning because you have a very interesting uh personal history as to why you decided to satirize this kind of you know very uh -huh. famous certainly outside even outside the u.s when you think of the usa you're like oh yeah that's where the nut job religious folk live um so <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah so where are you from you grew up in wisconsin am i right and that all ties into it yes well uh my family moved around a lot and uh wisconsin was one of the states minnesota i was born there and uh Iowa, South Dakota. And you were born into like a, a quite a religious family. Yes, uh, Calvinists, Dutch Calvinists. Calvin came after Luther. He just has a completely, you know, apartheid was based on his beliefs, the elect and predestination. God is an all-powerful CEO figure that mm -hmm. can determine whether you're going to heaven or hell before you're born. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. Right. Burn in hell forever. Why? What did I do? Yeah. You didn't have to do anything. God is, God is that powerful. Yeah. So, one of the one of the features of my background religion uh, is that is that the the Holland, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan area, the conservative part of Michigan, that is dominated by this these people. <laughs> They have very few artists that come from Holland, Michigan. And I have a theory that what happened to me happens to everybody there, which is you're in Sunday school at the age of seven, and your teacher tells you, the Lord God Almighty is so powerful, he can put you in hell before you're born. And you go, what? well, what does that mean? Well, you'll burn forever. 
burn you mean like you mean like you know you, you get this when you're seven years old you mean like when i burn my finger on the frying pan no no you burn in flames oh and then i die and i, I become ashes right no you never die it's just pain it's just pain and you're like you're like this you're looking up into the eyes of this well-meaning sunday school but it's very very mixed messages there and you might you might you might find yourself walking away from such a thing with your imagination cauterized mm. you know and and just at that point in your in your mind where you could go off and write like uh, Federico Garcia Lorca mm -hmm. that 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 place has been has has been burned as it mm. were your imagination's been penalized see so that's my theory mm. <laughs> But there have been artists, they're very tortured artists like me, but uh, Paul Schrader, the, uh, the script writer of Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. uh, he's from Calvin College in Holland, Michigan. So, wow, right, okay. You know, There's a couple so, of you survivors out there. Yeah. <laughs> so t tell me exactly, how was it that, that you got, get into the story. I've heard it before. It's such a good story. You, you, you left, you, you went off. How, how did that happen? Well, I had to escape that situation I've just described. Mm. Uh, I was already reading too much. I was already out of the, I was out of the, out of, I, I had already gone through a hole in the fence pretty early <laughs> on, you know. I was re reading, you know, Portrait of the Artist as a young man, and you know, I was, I was, I was reading the Beatniks, and uh, I was listening to uh, the '60s and '70s music, and I was, I was already off the reservation. So, uh, New York kept looming bigger and bigger for me, and I had this dream when I would look up at satellites, you know, the stars that moved, you know, the satellites. I would imagine this big ship in the shape of Manhattan and the captains would be Duke Ellington and Leonard Bernstein, you know. <laughs> and I would just have this New York fantasy. I'd be out there in the prairie somewhere with nothing in, in all directions. So I dreamed of New York and as I, as I uh, zigzagged my way towards the big city, uh, I ran into a, a, a wonderful man who kind of took me under his wing. He hired me away from, his, from my uh, theater that I was running. I was a producer of the, uh, theatrical events. Uh, and this is, I'm in my 30s here in this story. And he, he started talking me into the idea of a secular preacher. Mm. And I, I, at first, I just didn't want anything to do with it. I just, come on, I, 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 I don't like Christians. I don't want to be around that idea. Don't want to think about Jesus. And he said, no, 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 no. Preaching is wonderful. And he took me to lots of churches, Rachel. And so he said, just turn off the hate. Turn off the hate. Just turn the dial and just listen to these preachers. It's an American vocal form, mm. you know? And, and, and they, they uh, Laurie Anderson calls it the crack between talking and singing. So you, you listen to these people and they say, well, now what you want to do? 
when Jesus, Jesus Christ rises up and addresses you, well, you know, it's, it's wow. the vowels can go on forever and then they can stop mm. and then you can stare and then you can shrink and then you can blow up. And, and uh, so this, this man who was a sort of lapsed preacher, <laughs> mm. uh, he, was a, he, was, he came from a, a famous art family. Uh, Tennessee Williams was his cousin. Oh. And he, 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 uh, his name is Sidney Lanier, Sydney, Reverend Sidney Lanier. And he took me to New York finally and planted me <laughs> in front of the Disney store. And he said, okay, now this is the Disney store. And see that? There's a 20-foot tall Mickey Mouse in front of the Disney store. That is the devil. That is our Antichrist. And so Sidney made up a, a theology based on opposing consumerism. Mm. He said the name of our church is the Church of Stop Shopping. Mickey Mouse is the most famous logo in the world. That is the Antichrist. And so he started training me to preach on the sidewalk. Uh, and in, in Times Square, it's like, it's like the sound is like a, a jet engine. You know, you can't hear anything. And then you look up and there's Kate Moss, seven stories high, looking down at you. It's very surreal. And it's hard to catch anybody's eye. And, you know, the tourist mothers are like running away from you with their kids, covering up their kids' heads. And, for months and months, it was really hard to do, but gradually I started learning how to do it. I, I took lessons from an opera singer, and uh, uh, he, he taught me how to vibrate. Mickey Mouse is the Antichrist. Take your kids away from this place. Nothing but sweatshop products here. You don't want to take your kid in this den of iniquity. You know, like that, you know. I, got, I started learning how to do it. Yeah. Of course, this is Times Square, and on my right is a, a flat-out gay-hating, abortion-hating, you know, I mean, they're just right-wing preachers all over the place. But they, they never, I noticed when I would go over and talk with them, they never caught on that my values are the opposite of theirs. They just they saw never, the performance and thought, yeah, that's it was one the of style. Us. They were saying, "Wow, you got a, You got a good shout there." That's what they say. You got a good, you got a good shout. You're shouting today. I think you got the spirit. You know. Oh wow. <laughs> so I, I did that. I did that for a few years, and now, on the 20th anniversary of the Church of Stop Shopping, I'm going back. And last last Sunday, I was back in Times Square. But now the, the subject has changed. Now we worship the earth and we're in the middle of the sixth extinction. Mm. And so the, the preaching is, in a way, it's more similar to the other preachers because I'm shouting, we are doomed, <laughs> doomed. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm t yeah. Uh, and they, they hear that and they, they know I'm one of them, you know, but... <laughs> They don't like the science uh, part, you know. <laughs> they like the Old Testament. <laughs> no science in there. I, I don't, uh, my Bible is, you know, Rachel Carson's book, you know, or something. Yeah. Another, not the Bible, 
Wow. So, so tell, tell me then, before you met lapsed preacher Sydney, were you yes. um, already quite anti-consumerist? Were you already concerned about um, that culture that we live in? Or was it Sydney that introduced you to it? I would say I was inclined in that direction, like uh, people who grew up in the 60s and 70s. Mm. Uh, there was a back to nature movement that was, mm -hmm. uh, now it's easy to make fun of hippies, but it, there was some real, the groundwork for uh, organic farming and so forth was, was started then. I'm sure it was started way before then, but I mean, in my lifetime. So I wouldn't say that I was a very good gardener. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I, I had very good dietary control, <laughs> but uh, I was, I appreciated it. Um, and some of the, some of the writers that I, I loved um, that had that same appreciation. Gary Snyder, uh, Edward Abbey from the Monkey Wrench Gang, um, and, and some of the uh, seminal texts that are the basis for Extinction Rebellion and uh, so forth were being written through that period. Um, I had a romance about it, but I don't think I had my feet on the ground about it. I didn't mm. have my fingers in the ground about it. So, at what point did it, be, did, we'll get into the Church of Stop Shopping and how you built all that, but at what t point did you shift the message away from just purely anti-consumerism to also, you know, the planet's on fire, climate change is real, um, you, we're doomed <laughs> if you don't <laughs> stop. <laughs> well, let's see, the, uh, I would say that in 2005, we, we were already uh, preaching to tree sitters up in the redwood, up, up in the branches of the redwood trees. Oh, okay. Uh, they would be up there in their tree houses and, and they were sort of daring the local lumber company or the mm. local poli police force to come and get them. Mm. Uh, and we were down there preaching straight up. I don't know what we looked like. We must have looked like just a head with shoulders coming out. <laughs> so we were already um, uh, singing at honeybees complexes, at hives, honeybee, honeybee um, people would, would bring us in and we were defending community gardens mm -hmm. again, against real estate encroachment. Mm -hmm. uh, neighborhood gardens. So we started pretty early. It, it was a uh, anti-consumerism without the politics mm. is what a lot of people are doing right now. Our, the movement that we had something to do with starting with Buy Nothing Day and everything. Now you look, look at the internet and there are all these spick and span clean websites and there's minimal living, simple yeah. living, you know, uh, 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 a lot of upper middle class white people are learning to like live with less mm. and they have these kind of Instagram aestheticized Instagram looking pictures of themselves with white walls everywhere you know just nothing but low horizontal tables and it's all very yeah. unobtrusive and they think that the, 
they think that they're not, you know, tawdry, what they are. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so we've had to watch, we've had to watch our movement, uh, as far as millions of people, you know, being on some of these websites and, and so forth, we've had to watch, uh, watch that go in the wrong direction. Mm. Uh, they, we'll, we'll shout, ethical shopping is bullshit, you know, as, as best we can. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't get through. Oh, this is the thing. It's been appropriated into a style and you can make objects and aesthetics yes. to fit that style and then people buy them. Um, but maybe maybe yes. I explain or do a bit of preaching. <laughs> Why is ethical shopping bullshit? Um, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I, if I just... Uh, not exactly change my lifestyle, but I just make sure that I'm buying local or buying vegan or supporting my local artisan, then everything's going to be fine. Like, why, why does that not work on a big scale? Well, supporting your local artisan is, is, is a good thing to do. Yeah, that was the uh, wrong question to ask. I just realized after that statement. <laughs> I, I caught that. Thank you. you know, ha 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 half the people in the Church of Stop Shopping are artisans who have mm. a small some kind of small scale you know ta a table in the park mm -hmm. but uh, ethical shopping is a, is a corporate invention you know it, it it comes from the marketing departments of the corporations and the, the corporations maintain their structure by constantly adjusting to the changing uh, the changing conscience that they locate around them um, and they have huge carbon footprints in there. Uh, as, a, as a corporation, they're a part of Wall Street or London or Frankfurt or, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're in the money markets and, and they're, they're supporting a, a juggernaut of, of CO2 going into the air, but they can have a little uh, ethical, they can have a little green on their website, you know. Mm. So uh, a lot of these people that have these super clean um, minimal living uh, thing a lot of them are you know working for Silicon Valley and hmm. you know basically drug dealers <laughs> of, <laughs> and they uh, so you, you have to be a radical you have to back up and see the whole picture right hmm. I think this is a really apt um, conversation to have right now because um, COP26 is coming in two months I know that you're planning on coming and Extinction Rebellion have already started their protests uh, in the UK. In the, I mean, they're often protesting, but you can see it building now. Um, yes. And, you know, people are really unhappy with, with them. XR have a, poor XR have an image problem. Um, and so the backlash is happening online already, you know, about things that they're doing. Um, and... I would really love to hear from you how to educate people that the reaction isn't as bad as the action behind it. You know, if we did actually start looking after the planet, if we did start um, minimizing CO2, if we did get rid of these, you know, huge corporations that are responsible for so much of the environmental destruction, then you wouldn't have citizens out in the street blocking traffic for half an hour. You know, how do you how do you get that across to people? What do you think the resistance is in so many still to accept that activists um, are not the enemy? First of all, I just I just feel that 
sometimes we don't appreciate that we've, for about a century now, approximately since World War I, mm -hmm. um, marketing has gradually become such an immersive environment for us that we get, we get to the point now where spokespersons for political parties and, and corporations and so forth, they don't even pretend to be telling the truth. They assume with the audience that the audience knows that they're being whispered to by reputational consultants. And they, they, they say it right out, they say it right, it's, it's, we're all now supporting lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. Um, so when we have the truth, it's a completely different sensation. And every one of us has to have that truthful experience once in a while because there are tens of thousands of advertising events exploding in our mind every day. And we, we pretend that that doesn't matter. We continue to pretend that it doesn't impact us. And I think that XR is just trying to, um, I think XR is taking a step that the other NGOs don't take, which is to, to, is to actually wake people up and shock them. Mm. And, if, and if that's inconvenience, I support that. Um, in, in New York, XR um, just isn't doing the job. Uh, it's, not, it's not being inconvenient enough, or it's being inconvenient in predictable ways. Mm. I, I'd like to get back to a sec, uh, for a second to that idea that we have to each experience the truth once in a while to nourish the truth in ourselves so that we have some defense against this. Um, just two weeks ago, uh, some of the, the stop shopping singers and myself went out to Minnesota and uh, on the invitation of Winona LaDuke and we went there and we marched, well, we prayer walked on the shoulder of a highway that goes all the way from Canada down to all the way down and they arrived yesterday in their destination which is the state capital of Minnesota. So there's a tar sands pipeline coming down through same company as Standing Rock, Enbridge Energy, from Canada, Canadian. Trudeau made some kind of deal with Biden. Why would Biden allow this to take place? They want 750,000 high-pressure gallons of tar sands to blow through these pipelines every day. And um, this is a company that's famous for its, its accidents. <laughs> so. So I, you know, but we were there holding the hands of these indigenous grandmothers right at the pipeline. And the, uh, we had, all of us had the same sensation. Yeah, oh, oh, because, because good and evil was right up against, right confronting, flush, touching, life and death, right there. And now since we walked with the mothers out of there, down Highway 40, uh, the whole place is in flames. Northern Minnesota has an out of control wildfire, mm -hmm. California style. Uh, but, <laughs> but thousands of people are down in St. Paul. They certainly have some support there and I'm very glad and I'm checking in every couple hours. 
but that really helped us. It's going to get us through the fall. In New York right now, we have public space has shifted. The shape of public space has shifted. And that's our bullhorn. And we have to do some things that'll get get us arrested immediately. We'll have to do some things that'll like just confuse the police, and they won't know what to do. <laughs> they won't know well, what is that. Uh, but what we do will be energized because, for just a couple days, we were able to outmaneuver the marketing department of your average political party or hmm. sports team or corporation. And um. Is this just to, ex to explain to people what it is the Church of Stop Shopping do? So, you prayer walk down the highway. I'm sure you did some singing, but typically what you do is you go into these big public spaces or private spaces, corporations that are banks that are known for their contribution to climate change, and you sing, right? Yes, we're trespassers who sing, and you know we didn't invent that. Civil rights, labor. You know, the peace movement, ACT UP, this singing associated with all the social movements in this country that, that mm. made any kind of change. But there are really uh, ordinary manipulative ways that it's great. Uh, police slow down. It's a trance. Hmm. And we have, we have a Grammy winner in our, you know what, you know what Grammys are? Yeah, the big music award. You, you have other names for the, um, <laughs> and we have another thing that's called the Tony, which is Broadway. Yeah, musical, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, we, so we, ha we have, we have award-winning singers that wow. uh, join the choir and wail with us, and some of them risk arrest, and some of them just back off and support people that risk arrest, but there are always enough of us that risk arrest. Mm. Uh, we've been in some extraordinary places singing. Mm. Uh, we invaded the main glyphosate factory in the United States down on Cancer Alley in the Mississippi River just north of New Orleans, owned by the Bayer Company now, it used to be owned by Monsanto. We went in there. <laughs> they left a door open. Savitri, <laughs> my, my friend and wife, uh, she, she saw, hey, you know, and she said, come on. And so we went in there. It was an extraordinary thing. You know, we, at that point, there were probably 100,000 farmers dying of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in this mm. country uh, from that product, mm. glyphosates. Uh, we've been inside the RoboBee laboratory in Harvard. They're trying to make a mechanical bee to replace the honeybees. Oh, my God. <laughs> rather than just saving the honeybees? Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah. And it's partly financed by the Pentagon because they, they, they turn these honeybees into surveillance cameras. Oh, fuck. So you, <laughs> so you, have, a, you have an insect on your neck. You know, you go, oh, oh. And then, oh, did I just damage a camera? You know, what, 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 what did I do there? <laughs> so, wow. uh, but, but basically, a lot of what we do has been taught to us by our friends in, in the UK. Uh, we were... Going back, you know, we started touring in the UK like 15 years ago, and every couple of years, and uh, BP or not BP, and, and platform, and uh, these these different uh, art, not oil, and uh, you know you know all the names of these groups. 
-hmm. would take us they would take us into the Tate Modern and the British Museum but more than any any single thing they took us into banks mm. and so we would uh, you know sing and do a little um, HSBC UBS Barclays and uh, they would just take us around to banks and we would have exorcisms <laughs> you know and sing and have rituals we we always think of something uh, in one HSBC in uh, Liverpool one of our singers suddenly dropped to her knees and she, she says I my water broke and we had a whole pregnancy uh, drama <laughs> oh my god you know, amazing <laughs> it and the police you know 45 minutes later they pulled a pillow out of her dress you know so you know but, like tell me you know when when you start singing do you i mean I'm, I'm assuming the security you see the security guards they're sent towards you but the people working there do they stop do they ask questions do they pay attention what is the reaction that you get well the, the security people are sometimes put on the spot but there's a class and race question there um we we have to get them on our side Mm. Right, right away. The tellers and the security people and the janitorial people, we have to sing to them first mm. and get them to tap their feet. And we just say, we're here for a second. I don't think you know what, you know what the money of, of this bank is doing. It's mm. putting CO2 into the air, methane and nitrous oxide. And that's why the floods, that's why the wildfires. And so we start slow there. And a little while later, we're back in the back of the bank standing on the desks of the executives you know that's where we that's where we want to be that's yeah. where we that's where the concert is headed yeah and do you get there sometimes oh yeah oh yeah oh wow they don't want to arrest us uh in new york because it represents um a possible news article mm. um and we're singing and they're uh we've got these wonderful singers it's all original music. <laughs> Earth Alleluia, you know. We're just we're we're making the rafters shake. And they they enjoy it. Sometimes there'll be a John Wayne figure who's so angry. Uh, that'll happen. Of course, you know. But we try to keep smiling and uh That's hard sometimes, but you you just want to keep joking and smiling. We're bringing humor and music to the sixth extinction. Mm. And that's why when XR happened, we identified with it so strongly because we, we, we always felt that the stern judgmental thing wasn't working. Mm. And we always felt that the guilt-inducing graphics of the, NG the big NGOs like the Sierra Club, we saw that that was not effective. We saw that they were raising a lot of money, though. <laughs> Eighty dollars, and we'll send you a a panda tote bag. Yeah, mm, super Man, effective. They, they are so so rich. Wow, wow. Yeah, some of their CEOs make a million bucks a year.
Yeah, no, it's outrageous. It's out- and you yeah. it's really understandable why the um so many people are wary of the third sector. Not of the people on the ground really trying to help others and make a difference, but of the executives at the top making the decisions, pulling the strings, where's the money going? Yeah. Well, it looks it looks to me like they they are imitating their opponent. Yeah. They are they are corporate and they think that the way to change the corporations I don't know if they think that actively about that now. I think that now it's just a habit and they're all getting rich. Mm. But at some point, somebody said, no, let's be that. Mm. Like the Natural Resources Defense Council and their cocktail parties and their lawyers, you you can't tell the difference until you've talked to them for about three hours that they have anything to do with the natural world. You know, they they just look so much like a lobbying group for some big energy company. Uh, so they've adopted that style, uh, and at this point, we feel like the NGOs have to be resisted as much as as much as anybody. Mm. It, and in fact, Naomi Klein discovered that they were actually investing in oil. You know, yeah. the wild, uh, you know, Wildlife Conservancy, Energy, Environmental Defense Fund, these big old. Uh, they're gigantic, and they put money into these index funds like BlackRock and Vanguard. Yeah. You, you have names in England and, and uh, Europe. You have the same investment banks. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they have trillions of dollars because it's like an alternative government. Mm. And BlackRock has got eight or nine trillion dollars under management. So they own like 8% of the top 500 companies in the United States. So the guy that runs that, that, that place is called Larry Fink. <laughs> and Larry, he's got his, his marketing department working full-time tr- trying to fend off the greenies. You know, He's got a green website. He's, he's trying to say, well, we're different. We're the bank that's different. Uh, J- Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase, the man who killed the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, by never hesitating, he put $196 billion into fossil industries in the, in, the, in the 24 months that followed the signing in Paris. He never hesitated. Some of the other banks were, were wondering, now what's my relationship to this pledge that this nation state made? You know, who are these guys, these diplomats? And what, what, is this legal? Or, you know, they, they were like trying to study it. And Jamie Dimon, he just went for it. He said, this, wow, look at this, whoo. And then they saw him and then within Within a few months, 60 banks followed him. And the inability of the nation states to control their banking, uh, well, I think there are other theories as to why the Paris Climate Agreement is ineffective, but that's the most compelling one that I've heard. <laughs> the the nations just don't, they don't, they don't control their own money. Hmm. Yeah. Those people that are putting so, much, so many millions of dollars into billions of dollars into those investment banks are the same people that don't pay taxes. <laughs> yeah. So their money's not going to their own governments, it's going into these banks. And then these banks, they don't have to consult people, they don't have to consult taxpayers. And well, now there's an interesting question. Don't they have families? Mm-hmm. You, want, you wonder, you ask that yourself that one, once in a while. Are you? Do you think you're not going to die? Yeah. What's your What's your uh, theory here? Do you have like a 
a redoubt in the middle of the Him Himalayan mountains or something? What, 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 what's your... A lot of them do. I was reading, it's funny you bring that up. I was reading about it just the other weekend. I knew that there was this thing of like um, billionaires buying bunkers in New Zealand, but apparently it's a thing of Silicon Valley as well. Like 50% of tech executives in Silicon Valley have bunkers around the world because they think that the you know climate apocalypse is coming and society is on the verge of collapse and rather than do anything about it they're <laughs> using all of their wealth to buy these private pieces of land wow. um, and go underground essentially and stock up on food and fuel and weapons that's their solution they're becoming right-wing survivalists exactly they were the the journalists made a very 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 interesting comparison between that them and right-wing survivalists um it's the exact same thing but the, what was so interesting was like through in the interviews that he conducted like these people feel so powerless these people feel that this is absolutely going to happen and the only thing that they can do to protect their families is to hunker down is to get supplies like they don't seem to realize how much their decisions impact the world and how much power they do have. Maybe, because this is the thing, you know, I always think of like CEOs and um, anybody that's interested in, you know, actually running the world as a total sociopath because God, you know, it doesn't sound like a barrel of laughs. And I always think of them as power hungry. <laughs> but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's an alienation actually from being able to be aware of how much impact you have. Well, back to the origins of of uh, your question about, well, your question about why aren't things changing? Remember, and and I I didn't really answer your question. I started talking about how how the immersive advertising is impacting us as mm. and making and making us passive. Mm. I don't know that persuading the people at the top one way or the other will. Um, I don't think that'll be a part of the Earth's revolution. I think it will be um, middle class and, and, and below, I believe. I believe that's, that's where if the Earth's superstorms and wildfires and the virus get through to people and they connect that with their own behavior, if that finally happens, um, Upper middle class people will go to that uh, that style change. The people at the top will reinvest in something else. I, I just don't see the people up there making the change. I see I see us reclaiming public space, reclaiming culture, finding a way to speak by way of culture, which means we have to develop a new kind of commons. Hmm. That's one of the things that XR is doing when they stop traffic. They're creating an instant commons. And an instant commons is a bullhorn. <laughs> it's a way to talk to each other. Mm. That, that in the United States, in New York, the parks have been claimed by rich people and corporations. They, they've busted the tax support for the parks. The parks get funky and drug people hang out there. And then the people who caused that, that impoverishment of the green space. They come in and save it, mm. like the American cavalry saving 
Say that you're from the Indians. Oh, they ride in and they, they say, oh, we'll take care of it. And they, they, make, they make conservancies and um, basically social elite groups. Taking a park back uh, is now grounds for arrest. I've been, I've been arrested in every park in New York. You know, you, you can't. In fact, there was, one, there was one bill that almost passed in our state capital at Albany in which they wanted to have a decibel level beyond which you couldn't speak as, as a speaker, not with a bullhorn, but just, just, you know. As a speaker. As a speaker. You couldn't go above a certain level in a park or in a public place, a sidewalk, a street. So, so the degree to which, you know that book by uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, um, Dancing in the Streets, a history of, a history of collective joy she traces where we were together and unfettered and we were able to dance together and, and uh, our speaker's corners and our, our instant rituals that people make on their own. That's the stuff of revolution and fascists uh, going back to the Romans. I mean, you, you could just get arrested for that. I, I think of the, chi the way the Chinese are treating the people in Hong Kong right now. Uh, certainly slaves you know slaves having a regular church service they get arrested slaves couldn't marry each other in the united states they would have to make up their own ritual they couldn't have a wedding mm. so so that commons opening is something that we're studying in the church to stop shopping we've discovered something that we're going to try this fall um we've turned into an instant sidewalk cafe in new york you know, you've got 20 million people and lots of sidewalk cafes because you can't go inside, you'll get the virus. So, so that it started out pretty rough, you know, it's like f foggy plastic and plywood, unpainted plywood. But then after a while, it became fancy. Mm -hmm. And the fancy restaurants mm -hmm. have really beautiful outside additions and it drove the cars back. Oh, you know, okay. More thor thoroughly and, and more effectively than XR. It drove <laughs> the cars back. And, and so it's occurring to us that the, the space on the outside edge of these open air, or sometimes there's windows of some kind, but basically uh, they're, they're exposed to the street. We're, we're, we're imagining parades that go by these sitting duck yuppies. We're like going by with a 30 foot by eight foot sign on big poles, uh, you know, with Christmas lights and Brazilian walking drums and battery operated theater lights lighting it up and, and six part harmonies going on, earth, hallelujah. And, and, then, and then you got a phrase on the sign. Uh, we're making up phrases now, stop fossiling. Rachel, oh. stop fossiling. So we made up a new word there. So meanwhile, we have people going in dressed up in, you know, nice suits and power dresses. <laughs> and they're going into the restaurants as if they're customers. And of course, then they just laying out information on all the tables and leave. So we, th we think, you know, we could do that to 15 restaurants in one night. Mm. You see, that's public space opening up again. And we have to identify that. Mm -hmm. We have to identify that. I think that the, what they call commonsality, 
the ritual of eating uh, is, is, is something that has been lost from our activism for many years. Um, I think that the, the people, people sitting out in the middle of the street with their white wine, you know, eating and drinking is going to be political again. Mm. <laughs> Very interesting. So you guys have been open to being arrested then since the beginning of the Church of Stop Shopping? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, what would you say to those who don't understand how that can be a form of protest? Social change in, in the United States of America has always involved uh, trespassing. It's always involved uh, finger pointing. Uh, you're a terrorist. You're a you're a heathen. You're you know you're a homosexual. You're, you know there's always there, there's always a lot of that. You know, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they mm. arrest you, then they lose. Yeah. So you're always in, in that process, but I think it's important to go deeper into that process. You know, we have people like Bill McKibben, who are just masterful persuasion people. They're like brilliant essayists. Right now, that's not working. Brilliant, brilliant writing? Well, I'm a writer, and I write every morning. Mm. I would like to think it does work. I would say that writing needs to have something else working as well. If you don't have a functioning commons, uh, it, puts, it puts writing into an impossible position. It makes writing exclusive and isolated. Even though, you know, in a commons you have a bullhorn and you're shouting, and over here you're like submitting your 2,000 word essay to a blog, and they would seem to be separate. I don't think they are. That's just me talking. That's my feeling. How do you think we could make more things inclusive then, rather than just um, every group in the world having, you know, a couple of tools at their disposal? How do we go about um, expanding our understanding of what commons is, reclaiming digital commons, reclaiming written commons, these kinds of things? Well, the most encouraging thing that has happened lately is Black Lives Matter. You know, hmm. and before that, Standing Rock, and before that, Occupy Wall Street, and we have had commons claiming. I mean, every city in this country was full of people in the streets, uh, and the police could do nothing. And you could see the politicians wondering about what they would say. They couldn't measure it. It was a flood. Hmm. Uh, 20 million people were in the streets last summer. So every freedom flowed to everybody from that. Everybody felt more brave. The space that you had for alternative opinions was greater. The right wing became more and more desperate and started openly uh, you know, attacking government buildings and so forth, killing, killing police and so forth. Uh, uh, and 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 now now things are different as a result. Things are different. We have a woman of color as our vice president. Things are different. Yeah, but hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
yeah, women of color, but she's about as close to a Republican as a Democrat can get. Like, yeah, we have we have a black a new black mayor in in New York who's like that. <laughs> yeah, he started with a friend something called 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement when he, when he was a uh, in the opposition mm-hmm. as as the number of black and brown people being shot and killed by the New York Police Department was just every couple of months. You know, it was just mm-hmm. happening and happening and happening. And um, sometimes they became like George Floyd, sometimes Eric Garner, Amadou Diallo, Sean Bell, sometimes they became public executions mm-hmm. that everybody had to respond to emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so he, he started that opposition. Uh, you know, the, the New York Police Department supported Donald Trump. The unions supported Donald Trump. And we, we uh, Savitri leading the way, my, my, my partner, co-founder of this church, uh, she found out where Patrick Lynch, the, the president of the Policemen's Benevolence Association, if there ever was a misnomer, that's it. Uh, she found his address in an old court document or something. Mm-hmm. His son got into an argument with a neighbor over a parking place, and he found, she found his address, and she brought hundreds of Black Lives Matter people there, and they got out of the way. There were about 10 of us there just being there with, with them, but it was very moving. We surrounded his house. Uh, just a couple weeks after he supported Donald Trump publicly at one of Trump's golf courses, you don't want to you don't want to be in a city where where your police are openly racist. I mean that's a hard, especially for a person of color, to to have mm. that statement be so public and normalized. And and boy, there were people just there were just people, there were black people with bullhorns shouting about their loved ones. Uh, it was just such a moving testimonial. It was point blank. We had opened up a commons. Mm. We had opened up a way of talking and it was not endorsed or limited or colored by any filter, any corporation, any government agency. They, they couldn't do anything except he was just, his house was surrounded by white males who, uh, it seemed like none of, they had sports jackets on and they, they didn't fit. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying that. They didn't <laughs> fit, they, they, were too, they were too tight. So tell me, do you think that we should be fighting for institutional reform or are you fighting for, you used the term earth revolution before, earlier in this conversation? Could you tell me what that means? Well, uh, corporations have shown that they can't make the adjustment. Yeah. And uh, cooperatives um, where there's a relationship to community, where people have personal relationships that are not mediated by profits, uh, marketing, lawsuits, and all the rest of it, that attend corporate life, uh, they are gradually 
larger percentages of, of, of the economy of many Western countries, I, I would say. I mean, that's a generalization. I'm not going to be able to back that up with figures. But uh, I sense it. Anecdotally, I'll say lots of people are not going back to work in the United States after being um, uh, given some stimulus money from the government, I mean, given back their own money because the rich don't pay taxes. So you can't pay your rent, so you got, a, you got some money for a few months and they have a, an eviction moratorium. Uh, and then Republicans in Congress became upset because they felt that there's no motivation for people to work. Hmm. <laughs> and they call that socialism. They call that socialism. Well, so they're, they're very Thatcherite. Yeah. And so, but what we're seeing now is that people are not going back to work anyway. Hmm. They're not going back to work because they didn't like those jobs. You know, this yeah. culture since Bush, since Clinton, this, cu this culture uh, since the Democrats became right wing like Tony Blair, mm -hmm. Blair and Clinton, man. <laughs> con men, wow, con men. <laughs> wow. Self-styled movie stars walking around. Well, they, they are, uh, that, that whole world is broken now. That con has broken. The neoliberal con how they take all the words like free market and they, they you know they use all these words that that many people died to establish um, that's been broken and um, so it's it's a hard to read what's happening right now uh, the, the 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 trillion dollar banks are doing nothing but speeding up so they are ecocidal they, they are dedicated to that. Um, there are gas and oil projects all over the world. And they have credit lines in the billions, all of those companies. Um, but I see one of the most encouraging things that I've seen in our country lately uh, is how people are having conversations on their own. They're not going back to the old jobs where you know, 60,000 60, factories left the United States. And so you went down to working at like a hamburger joint and you're in your 50s, okay? And suddenly your daughter has rotten teeth and you're working at a hamburger joint making $11 an hour, you know? And this is happening all over the country. A lot of those people turned into Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. But... I think that the wildfires, the earth is making her statement here. The wildfires are just out, outrageous. They're so amazing. The wildfires are so hot and big and wide and out of control that they make their own weather system inside. They make their own clouds. They're coming from above and below and they make their own cycle. And the weather people don't even have words for what's happening right now. The earth is evolving. And, and you know what? People are not stupid. People are picking up on how extreme it is. And they are, they are saying, well, that's climate change. Where, where I and my church, where we're, where the place that we're staking out 
is you've got to understand that the wildfires and the superstorms and the virus come from, from one, one, one source. See, in the United States, Which you is? see, we're, the Earth, the Earth. <laughs> right, okay. The Earth, Earthalooya. <laughs> Extinction is the process, Earth is the source. We started it, the Earth is completing it. It's the sixth extinction. Well, I believe that, that people still have a common sense and they can lock themselves into fear and making up, making up this alternative world. But I think that ultimately that, that alternative world made of conspiracy theories and basically fiction, it's, an, it, it's adopting fictions on purpose. And I can't blame them. I don't think any artist really, really in their heart of hearts can blame what they're doing. They're making up a new world because they got conned so badly by us, the people on the coasts, the elites. Well, what is that? The people in London, you know, you yeah. go, you, you used to be, used to go through England and there would be a town that would be full of Volvos and white wine. And you go through, the next town over would be impoverished. Yeah. And that pattern, that pattern was the same all over the UK. And, and uh, the United States has the same thing. I think it's the, the scale is vaster. <laughs> Instead of having one town that's impoverished, you have Ohio, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, and it takes you seven days to get across that state. You know, it's just, it's just the scale difference. But I think, that, I, think that, I think that the earth is battling. The earth is the conspiracy theory that's battling the Trumps the Trump's th conspiracy theories. They're both science fiction. They're both unprecedented. QAnon has Donald Trump as Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, and that's about as strange as having three superstorms in the Gulf of Mexico simultaneously. Yeah. What? That's a conspiracy theory. So, so I think that the Earth will, will, will win. Um, it behooves us to be extensions of the superstorms, to translate the earth to everybody as best oh. we can. Hang on, let's, let's sit on that for a minute. To translate the earth. <laughs> what a beautiful sentiment. I've been talking for hours, Rachel. Finally, finally <laughs> you stopped <Come> me. <laughs> well, you're a preacher. I meant to just sit back and relax. I, I know. <laughs> Where's my pulpit? <laughs> <laughs> that is a beautiful sentiment. That le that leans into the absurdity to translate the earth. Mm. You're going to cut that out and put it at the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> no, I think the whole podcast oh, I'm sorry. is fascinating. I'm, so <laughs> I'm sorry, was that me? Was I just mean to you? Was that like that I didn't hurt? think it's an insult. Was that harsh? Should I have? I don't know. I think us um, Scottish people have, a, have different levels of um, what is uh, <laughs> perceived as harsh. Okay. Americans. <laughs> well, we're, we're always th throwing chairs at each other and then apologizing right away. And, and the first thing you do as an act of apology is you say, I was abused as a child. That's yeah, the first right. thing you say. Right. Oh, I, I have a really interesting question I want to ask you. As somebody who was raised in that... Um, religious environment but also really you know wants to protect the earth 
What do you think of the um, the spiritual angle on all, like the yoga movement, which is, you know, pretty white and pretty middle class, um, that, you know, we are one with the earth and you need to protect the earth and you need to love the earth. And it's, it, it, it turns it into a spiritual matter rather than a matter of extinction. Do you think that's effective or useful at all? Well, you have to understand that all of those words from church and synagogue and mosque life are so corrupted. Maybe I shouldn't speak for other religions. Let me just, I, I'm a, I was raised by Christians. And let me just say that, okay? Okay. Uh, I, we don't even use the word spiritual. Mm. You know? It's, it's, uh, it's a fact that people in the Sierra Club have a real problem being radical. They can't think radically. They can't find that public space. They're locked into money-making gestures. And being radical is spiritual. Mm. You know, being radical is a spiritual thing. It's a love thing. It's, it's about real love. And, and, and I just don't think that we have the language, speaking of translation, I don't think we have the language right now to be able to explain. But I just tell people, go into the woods and shut up. <laughs> you know, lean against a tree and slow down and spend a couple hours there until the insects are crawling over your legs and you, you got like a barred owl 20 feet from you staring at you and the, and, and the forest comes back to you because when we enter the forest we colonize the forest and we, we're not even aware of it everybody's running away from us and we're going oh my god give me my binoculars I think that's a chestnut sided warbler yeah you know, <laughs> you know so yeah, spend some time and just let the ecosystem come back into you and you know I don't want to use the word spiritual if, if I felt if I was confident that uh it could be reinvented and mean something completely different. But as a political person, you want people to hear you in, in the middle distance and you want, you want them to get the right idea as soon as possible. Uh, if you say, um, that's why sometimes as Reverend Billy, I have to like back up and let the church come forward. You know, and what's the church? It's a, a group of immigrants in New York. You know, all the races, all the ages, all the genders, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm. I'm doing my my drag version of this iconic, you know, preacher thing. Uh, sometimes that's not so effective mm. because in the middle distance, people are taking it wrong. Especially like right now, a lot of the people in Gre- Greta Thunberg's generation, they don't know what a preacher is. Oh, that's interesting. You know, so how can yeah. I satirize it? Um, so every year or so I like, I wonder, well, let's see, is, is that over? Should I, (laughs) should I just do something else? But I, the thing is I fell in love with preaching. (laughs) I love, I love, I love to preach. I I love the, the presumption and the impact and the, uh, the singing of it. Mm. I think it's, uh, very for me at least it's a very original way of getting the the message across 
um, and of engaging people for, for just a moment and giving them joy. And I think this is the thing, you know, give, giving people joy at the same time that you're, you know, warning them that the sixth extinction event is coming. I mean, that forms a community for just a moment even. It makes you know, oh, I'm not alone in this or there's other people out there. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's inviting. It's not them versus us. It's hey, it's all of us together. Quick, yeah. get in the boat, type thing. <laughs> get in the ark. Um, so I'm. I hope. I really hope to to be able to come and see you at COP twenty six um, and feel the magic of it myself. I hope we can come. You know the mm. Delta virus and everything. We we've got. We've rented the Center for Contemporary Arts for two nights. And. Uh, I'd like to get in touch with, with some of the XR people and John Jordan and some of the other people that are up there already. Uh, and it's kind of an open source thing that we do when, we're, when we have a stage. When we're not out on the street, we have the same thing happening on the stage inside, yeah. which is that um, it's, an, it's like, it's based on a sort of church service, but uh, people can jump up on stage and preach and you know it's it's wild mm. and there might be some kinds of things that need to be said in that kind of forum uh, during the conference because it's a it might be cold by then might be hot by then <laughs> that's first week of November it might be really hot you know in Glasgow <laughs> hot, yeah I know but we, we keep being surprised, you know, by what's happening. Scott, Scottish people are like the one people in the world that's like, you know what? We've got quite a lot of land. There's not that many of us. You know, climate change could be all right for us. You know, it's just going to get warmer. Uh, you know, we'll be fine. Oh. And I'm like, guys, it's just going to get rainy. Sorry. Um. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, that. this is the other thing. Quite a big sentiment of this. Um, certainly, like... Ah, people that are aware of climate change but know that maybe they're not going to be they know fine well they're not going to be the worst hit and also if you think okay oh, there's going to be um, an economic crisis and there's going to be uh, a refugee mm. crisis you know Scot Scotland's quite far away Scotland, Ireland you know we're like on the sort of arse end of civilization. people, people genuinely think oh, it's just going to get warmer and uh, you know things will be tough everywhere else but we might finally have you know a good summer finally <laughs> It's our turn, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I I just like to speak to uh, if if you if you have a listener uh, or a viewer right now that is nodding their head in agreement with you. Uh, <laughs> just now we were in northern Minnesota. Uh, Scottish Germans, especially Scandinavian people up there, uh, who uh, my family's from there. Uh, but the the people on the highway just arrived in the southern part of the state at the state capitol and then they look back north where they just were you know where the pipeline is that they need to stop where they've lived for centuries mm. as native people and they and it's all in flames the north northern minnesota is now on got one of those gargantuan wildfires. Yeah. 
And when we were on the highway there, we could see wolves and moose. I didn't see a wolf. I heard one. Hmm. Uh, but uh, the, the it's the wilderness, you know. It's the wilderness. It's pretty close to wilderness. Yeah. And lake lakes everywhere. You almost wonder how does how does the fire do it with all this water? Yeah. But that's what makes it so delicate, and that's what makes the pipeline mm. such a bad idea. Is so, this is this so much? The lakes and rivers are so. But. Northern Minnesota. So, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we should be too busy saying I'm for I'm far enough north. That's as far as north as you can get outside of Alaska in this country. Yeah, yeah. Well, very well said. And on that dangerous note. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! <is> important. <laughs> uh, Reverend, who would you like to platform? Oh, wow. Oh, well, uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, um, at whose birthday party I'm going to uh, perform, do a little comic cameo preaching. Um, <laughs> would be a person and I would carry that message to her. Uh, I would say uh, Andrew Revkin, who started the environmental desk at the New York Times, would be great. A wonderful talker is Douglas Rushkoff, who's a sort of Silicon Valley futurist. Uh, but there are a lot of people now that disapprove of Silicon Valley. but. He was the he was among the first and the best. He's a wonderful, wonderful speaker, Douglas. I will also carry a message to him if you'd like. Yes, please. Um, from our board of directors, um, John Sims uh, is uh, uh, has been going all over the South, hanging until dead, Confederate flags. Uh, and he's a six foot six African American gentleman with Rasta hair. He's certainly in danger doing this, mm. but he he integrates into his um, uh, rising up of the the children of slaves in this country. He integrates the earth into the way he talks uh, in a really startling way mm. that you just it strikes you as really necessary. We, we can't have issues over there and issues over there. When we draw our last breath together yeah. at, the end of the, at the end of the world, there will be one issue, and that will be life. Mm -hmm. Life's got to be the issue now. At this point, life itself is the political issue. Yeah. And so uh, John, um, comes from a very, very important angle, an important Black Lives Matter figure. There you go. That's a couple ideas. Perfect. You. Thank you so much, Billy. And what a pleasure to have you on the show. Earthalooya. Earthalooya. Thank you for inviting me today, <laughs> Sister Rachel. My pleasure, Reverend we'll, Billy. We'll see you in church at uh, <laughs> Glasgow. <laughs> yes, we will. See you in church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, everyone. Me again? Wow, right? <laughs> Secular preacher. I mean, I don't think I've ever really even talked to, you know, 
a religious preacher, but wow, the the fire, the passion, the, the voice, just amazing. And I hope you all absolutely loved it. Uh, more information on Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping is just a quick Google away. Uh, you can also look him up on Twitter, Rev Billy Talen, that's T-A-L-E-N. And there you'll find information about the upcoming uh, concert dates, about COP26 and all this. Um, and frankly, if you're an activist or if you're in that sphere in any way and you want to work with Billy, hey, you know, you'd, you'd be lucky to. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's an amazing person to have on site. So please, I encourage you, reach out to him. Go to SoundCloud. I'll put a link over on my website where you can listen to all the songs. And if anything, just get inspired. <laughs> Thank you everyone for supporting the podcast. As I said at the beginning, the best way to support it is to go over to platformenterprise.com where you can sign up to the mailing list and, you know, if you have the means, get a paid subscription. That facilitates me being able to spend the time to, you know, look up these amazing people, beg them to come and speak with me um, and produce these conversations, which I hope is just full of knowledge for you all. So Extinction thank you very much here. for tuning in every week Extinction and see you here. next time. We better say I love you before we disappear. Extinction number six. One, two, three, four, five. Do something to remember if someone does survive. Oh, our hearts are beating. Now I know why. On the No goodbye. Extinction is real. Extinction is here. We better say I love you before we disappear. Extinction number six. One, two, three, four, five. Do something to remember. Someone does survive. Extinction. Extinction, extinction, my God, what a word, it's everywhere, it's nowhere, it flies like a bird, let go of the myth, extinction will surprise, now we can really love, death makes the sun rise, death makes the sun rise 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 extinction is real extinction is here we better say i love you before we disappear extinction number six one two three four five do something to remember if someone does survive Makes the sun rise. On the living earth, there is no good. Death makes the sun rise. Death makes the sun rise. Death.